Hello, and welcome to Infinite Cast, a pod jest. Yes. I like that the series also functions as like a travelogue. Uh, yeah, it's true. Because we really do. We, we do it everywhere. Um, we've been everywhere, man. We are currently coming at you from the, uh, the, the, Marriott, the Marriott Courtyard. Courtyard. Uh, outside of LAX. Yep. Uh, we just departed uh, the Coachella Valley Music and Arts, Arts Festival, Festival. Uh, this morning. So excuse our raspy voices. I'm, I live. Honestly, we were thinking about doing this at Coachella. Not, our, not even our first time uh, podcasting at Coachella. Coachella. We, if anyone listens to our other podcasts and introducing a podcast about words about music found wherever podcasts are found. We did an episode on Woodstock 99. Uh, with our Coachella friends and yes. uh, literally sitting between two cars parked in the car camping lot Yes, uh, in the be- beating sun. We decided not to do that. But also uh, after day one, I almost couldn't speak. Yes. Molly always loses her voice instantly. Instantly. Upon. And I have a resilient voice, uh, but not in the desert, it turns yes. out. I need a moist, moist East Coast air. <laughs> You're like, you need to go to like one of those uh, seaside clinics for a... Uh, People with women diseases <laughs> of, the early, of the 19th century. I would, I, I maintain that um, be, being taken to sit in full clothing on a chair on the beach, on the, but a cold beach is like, uh, you know, like in Little Women. Yeah, uh, exactly. When they bring that chick who got some kind of fever. Yeah. I think that's a good, I think that's, everyone should uh, should have access it, to that. It's, it's very glam and goth. Yeah. Uh, so... I don't know if there if we have much and intro cro- crossover. Uh, sound off in the comments if you want us to do a full Coachella wrap up episode of uh, and introducing. But this is not that podcast. We're we're reading Infinite Jest here. Yeah, we simply simply can't shut up about it. Who knows? Maybe we'll talk about it a little bit in the recap, depending on where this goes. Incidentally, after Don got shot uh, last episode, uh, I actually have no idea where where the story is going. You forget what happened. I for- I basically forget. I forget a lot of what happens. I don't forget everything that happens, but the some things I feel like it's either going to take a turn or things are going to get a little weirder, a little wilder. Uh, but I, I literally don't know what this next section is, and I didn't prepare. They eventually have to dig up uh, Jo's head. They have to dig up his head. That is true. It is. That's known. all I know. It is known. Let's all right, get into let's it. Let's go. Year of the Depend Adult Undergarment. Interlace Tel-Entertainment 932-1864 RISC Power TPs with or without console, Pink 2, Post Prime Star DSS Dissemination, Menus and Icons, Pixel-Free Internet Facts, Try and Quad Modems with Adjustable BOD, B-A-U-D, Post Web Dissemination Grids. Uh, Pixel-Free Internet Facts is basically Wikipedia. <laughs> oh, Facts, F-A-X. Oh, Facts, okay. So, uh... uh uh, uh, text texting yeah on a, on a smartphone yeah tweets there's no such thing as pixel free though everything's pixels yeah that doesn't make sense everything in the world is pixels what the fuck are you talking about whatever <laughs> um post web dissemination grids screens so high def you might as well be there cost effective videophonic conferencing internal frox cd-rom electronic couture all-in-one consoles you should use ceramic nanoprocessors laser chromatography Virtual capable media cards, fiber optic pulse, digital encoding, killer apps, carpal neuralgia, phosphenic migraine, gluteal hyperadiposity, lumbar stress. Uh, that's a repeat, I think, a little bit. Basically, the idea that the really good technology makes your body feel bad. Yes, true. 
True. Half of all Metro Bostonians now work at home via some digital link. Wow. 50% of all public education disseminated through accredited encoded pulses, absorbable at home on couches. Ms. Tawny Condo's immensely popular exercise programs spontaneously disseminated daily in all three Onan time zones at 0700 hours. A combination of low-impact aerobics, Canadian Air Force calisthenics, and what might be termed cosmetic psychology. Upwards of 60 million North Americans daily kicking and genuflecting with Tawny Condo. A mass choreography somewhat similar to those compulsory AM Tai Chi slow-mo exercise assemblies in post-Mao China, except that the Chinese assemble publicly together. Uh, that's the uh, y- the YouTube yoga lady you do. A- uh, yoga with Adrian, shout out. Yeah. One third of those 50% of Metro Bostonians who still leave home to work could work at home if they wished. And, get this, 94% of all Onanite paid entertainment now absorbed at home. Pulses, store... This is freaky. Yeah. Uh, just thinking of streaming. We can talk about CNN Plus maybe. Pulses, <laughs> storage cartridges, digital displays, domestic decor, an entertainment market of sofas and eyes. I mean, it's, it's amazing how like very, very close that is to the YouTube marketplace of like popular YouTube videos. Yeah. Is basically like vloggers and vibes and exercise Education. and makeup tutorials. Yeah. The, uh, the cosmetic psychology basically. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, like wellness, yeah. like weird. Yeah. It's about as accurate as you could predict what a streaming entertainment ecosystem would look like 20 years before it happened. Yeah. Saying this is bad is like saying traffic is bad or healthcare surtaxes or the hazards of annular fusion. <laughs> Nobody but Ludditeic granola crunching freaks would call bad what no one can imagine being without. But so very much private watching of customized screens behind drawn curtains in the dreamy familiarity of home. A floating no-space world of personal spectation. Whole new millennial era under gentle and lace fourche. Total freedom, privacy, choice. Hence the new millennium's passion for standing live witness to things. A whole sub-rosa schedule of public spectation opportunities. Spec ops. The priceless chance to be part of a live crowd watching. Thus, the gapers blocks at traffic accidents, <laughs> sewer gas explosions, muggings, purse snatchings, the occasional Empire WDV with an incomplete vector, splatting into North Shore suburbs and planned communities and people leaving their front doors agape in their rush to get out and mill around and spectate at the circle of impacted waste, drawing sober and studious crowds, milling in rings around the impact, earnestly comparing mental notes on just what it is they all see. Hence the apotheosis an intricate pecking order of Boston street musicians, the best of whom now commute to work in foreign autos. The nightly chance to crank back the drapes and face out into the streets at OOOH when all street parked vehicles have to switch sides and everyone goes nuts and mills either switching or watching. Street fights, supermarket checkout confrontations. (laughs) Oh, you passed me with the water? Yes. <laughs> Struggled. Struggled. <laughs> oh, uh, David Foster Wallace predicted uh, goblin mode. And world star. Your world star, yes. <laughs> sorry. Oh, really sorry. <laughs> um, oh, man. This, this, this is bad podcasting. <laughs> what? Let pause. And we're back in. Oh, my God. My, my, my sincere apologies. <laughs> Uh, uh, that that is the most editing we've ever done on this podcast. I think once once we cut, 
Oh yeah, I did like reason. answer the door or something. Okay, back in. Sorry, this is uh this is amateur hour podcasting over here. <clears throat> Street fights, supermarket checkout confrontations, tax auctions, speeders stopped for ticketing, coprolaliac Toretters on downtown corners, all drawing liquid crowds. The fellowship, an anonymous communion of being part of a watching crowd, a mass of eyes, all not at home, all out in the world and pointed the same way. QV, the crowd control headaches at crime scenes, fires, demonstrations, rallies, marches, displays of Canadian insurgency. <laughs> Crowds brought together now so quickly, too quickly even to see them. A kind of visual inversion of watching something melt. The crowds collect and are held tight by an almost seemingly nucleic force watching together. Almost anything can do it. Street vendors are back. This was a thing during COVID. Uh, there's a street in uh, East Village that is now just like full on street market. Street vendors? Oh, yeah, yeah. Like Canal Street, right? Yeah. Street Street vendors are back. Spaghetti is back. Homeless vets and twisted figures in wheelchairs with hand-lettered signs outlining entitlement. Jugglers, freaks, magicians, mimes, charismatic preachers with portable PAs. Hardcore panhandlers stem like they're selling nostrums to small crowds. The best panhandling now verges on stand-up comedy and is rewarded by watching crowds. Cultists in saffron with much percussion and laser jet leaflets. Even some old-style Euro beggars, black-browed persons in striped leggings, mute and aloof. <laughs> Even local candidates, activists, advocates, and grassroots aides have returned full circle to the public stump. The bunting hung platform, the dumpster lid, vehicles, roofs, awnings, anything overhead, anything raised to a crowd-collecting public view. People climb and declaim, drawing crowds. One top Back Bay public spec op every November is watching expressionless men in federal white and municipal cadet blue drain and scrub the public garden's man-made duck pond for the upcoming winter. <laughs> they drain it sometime in November every year. It's publicly unannounced. There's no fixed schedule. Long, shiny trucks just all of a sudden appear in a ring at Pond's Rim. It's always a weekday circa mid-November. It's also always somehow a gray, raw, sad, windy Boston day. Gulls cartwheeling in a sky the color of dirty glass. People mufflered and with new gloves on. Not your ideal Sylvan-type day for conventional lounging or public spectation, but a massive crowd always collects and thickens in a dense ring along the banks of the public garden's pond. The pond has ducks. <laughs> the pond is perfectly round, its surface roughened to elephant skin by the wind. Geometrically round and banked with the lawn-quality grass and shrubbery in even space clumps, with park-type benches between the shrubs overhung by white-barked willows, who've now wept their yellow autumn grit onto the green benches and grass banks where an arc of crowd now forms and thickens, watching duly designated authorities commence to drain the pond. <coughs> some of the pond's flightier ducks have already decamped for points south, and more leave on some phylogenic queue just as the shiny trucks pull up, but the main herd remains. Two private planes fly in lazy ellipses just under the cloud cover overhead, Banners strung out behind them advertising four different levels of comfort and protection from depend. <laughs> the wind keeps blowing the banners sideways, mobiusizing them, and then uh, straightening them back out with a loud pop of flags unfurling. From the ground, the engines and banners pops are too faint to hear above the crowd noise and ducks and winds mean whistle. The swirling ground winds so bad that U.S. Chief of Unspecified Services, Rodney Tyne, 
Oh, hey. Standing with his hands at the small of his back at a window on the eighth floor of the State House Annex on Beacon and Joy Streets, looking southwest and down at the concentric rings of pond and crowd and trucks, can see wind-driven leaves and street grit swirling right outside and pecking at this very window he stands before, massaging his cossacks. <laughs> Dr. James Owen Condenza, filmmaker and almost a scopophile about spec ops and crowds. What's a scopophile? Do you, do uh, you know, know off I'll the look dome? It, I'll look it up. Okay, uh, thank you. Scopophile. Um, never once missed this spectacle when alive and in town. Hal and Mario have both been to a few. So have several Ennett residents, though some of them weren't in much of a position to remember. <laughs> it seems as if everyone in Metro Boston seen at least one pond draining. It's always the same sort of grim, windy, northeast November day where if you were at home, you'd be eating earth-toned soups in a warm <laughs> kitchen, listening to the wind, and glad of home and hearth. Uh, scopophilia refers to literally the love of looking. Love of looking. I should have known. The term refers to predominantly to uh, to the predominantly male gaze of Hollywood cinema. Interesting. Uh, uh, we got to re- reclaim and decolonize scopophilia. Uh, pervert, pervert's guide to cinema. Pervert, pervert's guide to cinema. Every year, himself came was the same. The deciduous trees were always skeletal. The pines palsied. The will- willows wind whipped and nubbly. The grass dun and crunchy underfoot. The water rats always seeing the big drainage picture first and gliding like night to the cement sides to flee. Always a crowd in thickening rings. Always rollerblades on the garden's paths. Lovers joined at the hand. Frisbees in the, direct, in the distance on the rim of the garden's other side's hillside slope, which faces away from the pond. U.S. Office of Unspecified Services Chief Rodney Tyne stands at the unclean window for much of the morning, ruminative, his posture a marshal at ease. A stenographer and an aide and a deputy mayor and the director of the Massachusetts Division for Substance Abuse Services and Unspecified Services Regional Operatives Rodney Tyne Jr. <laughs> takes us to end note 257. North Northeast region trying hard not to irritate Tyne Sr. by fidgeting. His son. Yes. And Hugh Steeply, uh, 258. Uh, desert SW region understated in a massive peasant skirt and sensible flats. <laughs> So he's still in drag. Back to the text. All sit silently in the conference room behind him. The stenographer's Greg Penn posed in mid-dictation. De- mid the stenographer's name is Penn. Gre- Greg Penn? It seems to be some kind of pen. Yes. I don't, I don't oh, know. Oh, the stenographer's Greg, Greg Penn. Penn. Oh, okay. I thought the stenographer's name was Greg oh, Penn. Yeah. <laughs> I'll have to look that up too, maybe. The eighth floor window's purview goes all the way to the ridge of the hillside at the garden's other end. Two frisbees and what looks like a disemboweled ring of frisbee float back and forth along this ridge, dreamily floating back and forth, sometimes dipping below the ridge and lost for a moment to the specular vision of Tyne. Trying at the same time to give his bad skin some quality UV and a good chills chap, the grad work-study engineer of MIT's WYYY109 mm-hmm. lies bare-chested on a silvery NASA souvenir space blanket, supine and cruciform, at about the angle of a living room recliner on the public garden's far hillside. This is out by Arlington Street in the garden's southwest corner, hidden by its ridge from the Ponds Basin and tourism booth and pavilion and the hub of radial paths and the giant Verdigris statues of ducklings in a row commemorating Robert McCloskey's beloved and timeless makeway for ducklings. <laughs> you know, I actually don't think I've been here. Have you? It, it's, I think it's real. I think it's a Boston thing. 
uh, this park? Yeah, the, don't they have duck boats? Isn't that a thing where you? Yeah, like... they have duck boats, but they go in like the river, oh, right? Yeah, I'll have to. Not, I'll look the duck boats don't go in the duck pond. Yeah, I guess I guess they'd have to be pretty no, small. I'm not, I'm I'll not, look into this, but I'm, I think it's real. I'm not familiar with Boston geography. I'll have to check it I out. I guess when we're done with this, we're gonna have to go on the uh, the the some infinite jest tour, walking yeah. tour of Boston. I would love to do that. The hillsides, grassy decline, not too steep, runs at a wedges angle down toward Arlington Street and is one broad greensward, free of dog droppings because dogs won't go to the bathroom on inclined terrain. <laughs> Frisbees float on the ridge behind the engineer's head and four lithe boys on the ridge play a game with a small bean baggy ball and bare blue feet. It is five degrees Celsius. The sun has the attenuated autumn quality of seeming to be behind several panes of glass. He's so good at describing how fucking shitty New England winter is. It's giving, it's triggering me. The the sky, the color of dirty glass, yeah. is very good. Also, I was born in November, and it's just like, yeah, every birthday yeah, I've had, November, it looks exactly like looks, this. It looks like this. If not, if I'm lucky, I get I got I got a blizzard like once, and otherwise, it's just like uh, yeah, yeah. The the northeast winter that's not snowing, at least when it's snowing. For the moment that it snows, it's like kind of serene and pretty. pretty. And then instantly. And war- warmer often. Sometimes yeah. it like actually gets a little bit warmer. Is that just because of the friction of the snow in the air? That's what I always thought. I, I am not I'm not meteorologically inclined. inclined. But yes, the mo but the moment after snow hits the ground, it also immediately becomes disgusting. Yes. Uh the wind is bitter and keeps flopping unmoored sections of NASA blanket over parts of the engineer's body. Goose pimples and real pimples jostle each other for space on his exposed <laughs> flesh. The student engineers is these hillsides only metallic space blanket and bare torso. He lies there splayed, wholly open to the weak sun. The WYYY student engineer is one of roughly three dozen uh, human forms scattered over the steep slope. A human collection without pattern or cohesion or anything to bind them, looking rather like firewood before it's been gathered. Wind-bronzed, sooty men in zipperless parkas and mismatched shoes, some of the garden's permanent residents, sleeping in, sleeping or in stupors of various origin, curled on their sides, knees drawn up, unopened to anything. In other words, huddled. From the great height of one of Arlington Street's office buildings, the forms look like things dumped onto the hillside from a great height. An overhead veteran to be apt to see a post-battle battlefield aspect to the array of forms. Except for the WYYY engineer, all of the men are textured in urban scuzz, unshaven, yellow-fingered, and exposure-bronzed. They have coats and bedrolls for blankets and old twine-handled shopping bags and glad bags for recyclable cans and bottles. Also, huge campers packs without any color to them. Their colors and appurtenances are the same color as the men, in other words. A few have steel supermarket carts filled with possessions and wedged by their owner's bodies against a downhill roll. One of the cart owners has vomited in his sleep, and the vomit has assumed a lava-like course toward the huddled form of another man curled just downhill. One of the shopping carts, from upscale Bread and Circus, has an ingeniously convenient little calculator on its handlebar, designed to let shoppers subtotal their groceries as they select them. Great idea. (laughs) Uh, Back when you would maybe need to do that. Uh, The men have sepia nails and all somehow look toothless whether they have teeth or not. Every so often, a frisbee lands among them. The loose ball makes a bean baggy sound against players' feet above and behind them. Two skinny <clears throat> and knit capped boys descend very close to the engineer, chanting very softly, Smoke, 
ignoring all the other forms, which anyone could tell are undercapitalized for purchasing smoke. <laughs> when his eyes are open, he's the only one on the hillside to see the round bellies of ascending ducks pass low overhead, catching a thermal off the hillside and rising to wheel away left due south. His WYYY109 t-shirt and inhaler and, in glass and glasses and M fizzy and spine split copy of metallurgy of annular isotopes are just off the oh, MIT are just off the edge of the reflecting blanket. His torso is pale and ribby, his chest covered with tough little buttons of acne scar. The hillside's grass is still pretty viable. One or two of the scattered fetal forms have black cans of burnt out sterno behind them, beside them. Bits of the hillside are reflected in Arlington's storefronts and office windows and the glass of passing cars. An unexceptional white Dodge or Chevy-type van pulls out of Arlington's traffic and does some pretty impressive parallel parking along the curb at the hillside's bottom. A man in an ancient NATO surplus wool greatcoat is up on his hands and knees to the engineer's lower left, throwing up. Bits of chyme hang from his mouth and refuse to detach. There's little bloody threads in it. His hunched form looks somehow canine on the uneven slope. The fetal figure wedged unconscious under the front wheels of the shopping cart nearest the engineer has only one shoe, and that shoe's without laces. The exposed sock is ash-colored. Besides the handicap license plate, the only exceptional things about the van now idling at the curb far below are the tinted windows and the fact that the van is spotless and twinkly with wax to about halfway up its paneled side, but above that line, dirty and rust-saucered and shamefully neglected-looking. What? Am I supposed to recognize that? uh, To me, it just sounds like it's maybe cleaned by people who are in wheelchairs. Ah. mm -hmm. Uh, (laughs) This fucking guy. (laughs) Uh, The engineer has been turning his head this way and that, trying to tan evenly along his whole jawline. The curbside van idles at a distant little point between his heels. Some of the hillside's forms have curled themselves around bottles and pipes. A smell comes off them, rich and agricultural. The student engineer doesn't usually try to sun and chap his skin at the same time, but chapping ops have lately been scarce. Since Madame Psychosis of 60 plus or minus took her sudden leave of medical absence, the student engineer hasn't once had the heart to sit out on the union's convoluted roof and monitor the substitute shows. The engineer moves his upturned face back and forth. First, Madame was replaced by a mass comm graduate student who proved a crushing disappointment as a misdiagnosis. Then, ma- <laughs> <laughs> then Madame was publicly deemed irreplaceable by management, and the engineer is now paid <clears throat> simply to cue her background music and then sit monitoring a live mic for a noiseless 60 minutes, which means he has to stay in his booth maintaining zero levels with a live mic and can't ascend with his receiver and cigarettes even if he wanted to. The station's student managers giving the engineer written instructions on just what to say when people phone in during the hour to inquire and wish psychosis a speedy recovery from whatever might ail her. At once denying and encouraging rumors of suicide, institutionalization, <laughs> spiritual crisis, silent retreat, pilgrimage to the snow-capped east. The disappearance, who's, the disappearance of someone who's been only a voice is somehow worse instead of better. A terrible silence now, weeknights. A different silence altogether from the radio silence type silence that used to take up over half her nightly show. Silence of presence versus silence of absence, maybe. The silences on the tapes are the worst. Some listeners have actually come in and down through the deep cortex and into the cold pink studio itself to inquire. 
some to allay this firm conviction that Madame was still actually showing up and sitting there by the mic but not saying anything. Another of the men sleeping nearby keeps punching at the air in his sleep. Almost all of the personal wee-hour inquiries are from listeners somehow bent, misshapen, speech-defective, vacantly grinning, damaged in some way. The type whose spectacles have been repaired with electrician's tape. Shyly inquiring. Apologies for bothering someone they can clearly see is not even there. Before the student manager's written instructions, the student engineer wordlessly directed their attention to Madame's triptych screen with no silhouette behind it. Yeah. Just uh, thinking, thinking about radio, thinking yeah. about podcasts. I know. Another white Dodge van, just as unevenly clean and opaque windowed, has appeared on the ridge above and behind the hillside's littered forms. It casts no visible shadow. A frisbee ring caroms off the clean grill of its snout. It idles its panel door facing the de- declivity and the other white van's panel door far below. One hideous little inquirer had had a hat with a lens on it and seemed about to fall forward into the engineer's lap. No, Called him hideous. His attendant wearing some, wanting some address where they might send something supportive and floral. The NASA blanket's micronized aluminoid coating is designed to refract every possible UV ray into the student engineer's bare skin. <laughs> the engineer knows about the ambulance and the Brigham and Women's ICU and five-day rehab ward from the thick swart girl Notkin, the one with a disreputable hat and film department ID who came down via the Basilar elevator late at night to retrieve some old tapes of the program for the madame's personal listening use, she said, and was fortunate enough to know the madame in private life, she said. The term is treatment. Madame psychosis is in long-term treatment. That's something the bearded girl in the sooty hat obliquely described as only half a house (laughs) in some unbelievably unpleasant and low-rent part of the metro area. This is the precise total of what the WYYY engineer knows. He is shortly to have occasion to wish he knew a great deal more. QV, the dimpled steel ramp now protruding from the squeakily opened panel door of the van on the ridge above and behind him. QV, the utter darkness inside the idling van down along the Arlington Street curb, whose side panels also been slid open from within. The southwest hillside is copless. The garden's platoon of MDC finest are all in their souped-up golf carts over at the drained pond, throwing curved sections of glazed donut into the duck shrubbery. <laughs> uh, I love that uh, DFW knows how useless uh, these, these guys are. <laughs> uh, the, just remember that from John getting shot that the security guard was drunk. Yeah, exactly. Uh, d- glazed donut into the duck shrubbery and telling a largely dispersed already crowd to please move along. <laughs> the ridges, frisbees, and hacky sackers have abruptly vanished. There's now an eerie stillness, like a reef, when a shark cruises through. The ridges vans idling maw open in black, silver tongued. QV uh, describing the a van with a ramp out as silver tongued. Yes, that's fucking cool. QV also the wheelchair that now all of a sudden shoots down the hillside van's ramp as a madly squeaking brass colored blur, a snowplow like scoop type thing welded to it and and out front, skimming the ground and throwing off chaff from the swath of grass it's mowing. Moving terrifically fast, brakes unapplied, the legless figure up on burly stumps in the chair, flirtilise with sword stem masked, and bent far forward for a skier's pure speed. The huddled fetal hillside figures, the speeding chair slaloms, 
The dim, glittered movements of arrangement for reception deep within the curbside van, way at the bottom of the steep grade. The engineer arching his neck way out to capture sun on the scarred hollows under his jaw. The sharpened cart with the calculator clipped by a squeaking rubberized wheel at an angle and sent clattering off down the hillside, spraying possessions. The homeless shoe to which it had been roped, skittering empty behind it. Behind it and the cart's now shoeless, unconscious owner just waving at the air in front of his face in sleep, as if at a bad DT dream of lost shoe and worldly goods. The calculating cart whumping into the side of the hunched man vomiting and flipping over and bouncing several times, and the vomiting man rolling and yelping, vulgarities echoing. The WYYY engineer now to be seen hiking himself up on a chill reddened elbow with a start and starting to turn and look above and behind him, up at the ridge, just as the speeding wheelchair with the hunched figure reaches him and the chair's shovel scoops the engineer and his NASA blanket and shirt and book up and runs over the glasses and bottle of Emphysi with one wheel and bears the engineer in the scoop up and away and down the steep grade toward the idling van at the bottom, a van whose own angled ramp now slides out like a tongue or auto teller's transaction receipt, the NASA blanket blowing away from the scooped engineer's flailing form about halfway down and suddenly aloft in a hillside thermal and blown far out over Arlington Street traffic by the keen November wind, the madly squeaking wheelchair aloft over hillside moguls and coming back up and uh, down and up again, the snatched engineer in the chair's scoop appearing to the hillside's roused figures mostly as a hallucinatory waggle of bare limbs and strangely wheezy shrieks for help or at least to look out below. <laughs> All as the modified chair squeaks frantically straight down the hillside's most efficient downward line toward the van with the ramp now idling in gear, its pipes exhaust beating the street in high RPM idle, the NASA blanket twi twisting coruscant in the air high above the street, and the shriek-roused figures on the hillside lying there, still bent in and barely moving, stiff with cold and general woe, uh, except for the hunched man, the unwell man who'd been hit by the dislodged cart who's rolled to a stop and is thrashing, holding the parts that were hit. <laughs> okay. Uh. So, uh, I, I mean, I guess my first response is, is this an like an intentional kidnapping or just this engineer kid getting caught up in some kind of weird uh, machinations of the, the, uh, the assassins? Let's unpack. At this point, I'm assuming that the assassins know that it's James Owen Condenza. Mm -hmm. uh, they are trying now to find his associates. Okay. And they're trying to find associates of associates if they can't find the associates. So what do they do? They're looking for Madame Psychosis, J.O. and Condenza's assistant and star. Yes. Uh, uh, assist, uh, AD, I don't know what her official title Wait, was. In that, was I clocking in, that, in this segment right that we're seeing J.O. and Condenza and all the unspecified service people watching this scene happen. Jay, Jo is dead. They, he, he did go when he was alive, but yes, Rodney Tyne from the Onan U uh, unspecified services is watching all of this happen. So we've got now Madame Psychosis's engineer being kidnapped, being kidnapped by the, uh, SSN de Fauteuil Roland mm -hmm. while Tyne is watching and Hugh Steepley's there. Intel has been probably passed from Hugh Steepley from Marath, from Marath after their meeting. Yes. <coughs> and there's 
Back in. Back in. Re- my, my apologies. Uh, Miss Scoozy. Uh, uh, the intel it's that was gathered from gathered. the quadruple okay. crossing, Morath, has now put Steeply in a place where he can inform Rodney Tyne about, about the okay. machinations. And so they are both looking for the entertainment. They're both looking for the people who were involved. We're all trying to find the guy who did this. <laughs> we're all trying to find the guy who did this. And all right. right now, I don't they're not they didn't intervene because they probably know that this engineer doesn't know much. Because remember when he said Yes. Uh he doesn't the only thing he knows about Joelle is that she went to a half of a house. A half of a house. For treatment. Uh and I'm sure that I, I don't know, and I can't. I really do not know what happens to him, but obviously we know how unpleasant those wheelchair boys are. So uh, it can't. I don't know what uh, if they're going to torture him or what. Uh, but it's not looking good for Mister Mister Acne. Mister Acne engineer. engineer. I, it's it's a uh, it's funny that you know that actual like plot uh, description. Um, is just you know it, it sounds so much more exciting than the than you know the the stack of details that that the prose actually again is, you know but that's just the like point, the movie yeah. it's the one scene it's just one scene you see yeah. that guy watching the cops throwing donuts everyone dispersing from the ducks yes ducks flying overhead and then all of a sudden you just see wheelchair tear assing down <laughs> scooping him up and God I mean also. If if I maybe anyone who's listened who has is deeper into this mm-hmm. uh, lore can tell me this feels like a mirror image to the scene where Don drives the Aventura to yes. go get groceries and I love that kicks section. up the Millennial fizzy can yeah and it lands at the Antitoise yes it's the parabolic or the annular like yes uh, connection of like the the idea that there's a scene with like this thing flying through the air yes as the as this wheeled vehicle uh, rushes rushes down yeah um, collecting uh, you know intersecting these this important plot feature yeah um how how do you how do you feel about all this i the thing that you're talking about about the the new england winter it, it he does such an amazing job of uh describing meticulously describing the kind of uh painterly shabbiness of the world yeah you know just all brown and dry yeah. and cut, like if you're in a good mood, you can maybe think it's b- beautiful in its own way. But Ro- Robert Frost was, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I'm sure I'm sure there's some Robert Frost poems about how much it just sucks ass to be in winter in, in the Northeast. This is an aside, but I think I told you this off mic is that uh, True Anon is now doing a series on the Boston bomber bombing. Great. Which I would highly recommend anybody uh, who's listening to check out uh, for two reasons. A. It's very uh, it's very interesting. True and always great, and there is a lot of uh, you know one eyebrow arched stuff about totally. the Boston bombing. Yeah, uh, but B, it's very it's a very Wallacean story, in yeah. that it has like a lot of very you know strange kind of mundanely spectacular details, and also two the, brothers. The setting of it is very very infinite jest like every, mm. everything happens in Alston and on Comav like that's where they lived that's like all the the details about yeah. about them but uh, also it's two brothers in an in a insurgent cell by operating yes by operating themselves. by themselves well 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 
well, you'll have to listen to the true or not episodes to hear all the details about about that. But uh, yes, I I don't I don't think I I don't think that there is an eye emoji uh, related to the Antitois brothers. I think they are ge- genuinely uh, yeah. They're, they're I mean obviously there's the OSS is the obvious yeah. uh, uh, replacement for the CIA. So there is. <laughs> The themes of CIA invention, intervention, government intervention. But so. it, it is a, uh, I mean, obviously because I'm so steeped in this thing that we're doing, I, I like all my little like uh, uh, infinite jest alarm bells were going off while I was Ding while dog. I was reading it. But uh, I, I just uh, highly recommend checking out the uh, the True Non Boston bombing series. I think it's it's a good complement to this thing. The Something that reminded me at the beginning when we were talking about how this kind of post kind of post apocalyptic world in a sense, uh, it, you know, everyone works from home, but everyone gathers outside yes. really reminded me of covid and and the protests in 2020, like the, the protests kind of in 2020, the, the, the that there was a, an undertone to it, to those 2020 protests, which I don't think was ever explicitly explored by anyone about how much it uh, the. Yes, it was a spontaneous feeling of outrage at injustice, but I. But it also was like everyone needed to do something. I, do, I you know after I, after the isolation. I don't. I don't think. I hope it isn't uh, shameful to say that like the first time we saw our friends in person after more than two months lockdown mm-hmm. was uh, at protests mm-hmm. in New York. Yes. Uh, so yeah, it was, uh, it was absolutely, we, <laughs> a Ru- Russell brand, uh, we got to do something. We got to do something. But it was also like, dear God, I need to see my friends again, even if we're masked and all we're doing is, is walking around Brooklyn for, after curfew to for support two hours. racial justice. Yeah. yeah. Or more like seven hours. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, oh God, that one walk was so long. I'm also just reminded of like, not not just the protests, but also the like social times, like how Prospect Park just got super lit. Uh, people were doing comedy shows yes. um, in the park. People were doing like kind of improvised musical performances. People um, were doing uh, karaoke gatherings. We made, we did karaoke gatherings. Uh, Washington Square Park went absolutely like berserk. Yeah. Uh, summer twenty twenty, where people were just like ga- gathering like crazy. It's already a crazy park, and it just went. It was like a alt space like alt space yeah like. it's it's a very insightful uh thought that the rise in homebound streaming entertainment and interaction with the world would will also create a equal rise in need for spontaneous gatherings even around the mundane you know yeah like unless unless you are fully uh Hikikomori, I guess, which yes. again, un- I don't, I don't, I understand in this, in this time why that yeah. would happen. You gotta, you gotta touch grass. Uh, I don't know how I can phrase this delicately, uh, but you know, also that section about uh, weirdo obsessives about around the uh, voice <laughs> and the absence, the sudden absence of a voice, mm-hmm. uh, you know, a, the, even after a year, just keep kind of seeing constant speculation about the uh, sudden absence of a voice on uh, one of the podcast projects I am involved in. Uh, you know, I, I think that that resonates. Kind of uh, cra- you know, crazy making. Yes. It's different than like someone's like TV show going off the air. Yeah. Like, yeah, of, of the absence of vo- silence of absence. Especially something like a radio show that 
happens theoretically perpetually. Yeah. You know, you're kind of trained to see, to watch television in, you know, seasons or bursts. Yeah. But if you're listening to a radio show or a podcast, it comes every week. Every week. Yeah. Uh, And then what happens when it stops? And it's also God seeing. You gotta, you gotta go on discord and speculate about it. (laughs) Seeing Mario from the outside where the engineer who, by the way, is, you know, this uh, pe- pale, extremely pimply dude yeah, yeah. sees Mario as hideous. Yes, uh, and just being and just seeing him as just another like you Your know freak basically or weirdo. freak. And yeah. when it's like, yeah, I mean that's that's where uh, it's that's where he's David Foster Wallace is creating some empathy. I think he yeah. one of the exercises in his book is is empathy, which leads me to the homeless guy stuff, which is like just devastating, honestly, the way he described those yes. guys. Uh, yes, yes, yes. I mean, Wallace, I, I would love to hear more speculation about this because he does have uh, an interest and an obsession with like uh, physical deformity, disfigurement, uh, yeah. like um, yeah, disability, uh, which is interesting. I mean, obviously... I don't know. It's just interesting because he himself is kind of hilariously a Chad. <laughs> yeah, he's like basically. A, I mean, he's a te- he's a fucking former tennis star. That's yeah. you know, adolescent tennis star, a little different than adult, but you know that that implies he's a he's a brain jock in a way, mm-hmm. um, and a good looking dude. So yeah, he's it a is brain, a brain jock. Yeah, but kind of describing describing you know uh, people itinerant people. Uh, yeah. Like in the in the ways that I I don't know it's it's one of those things where you live in a city and you see that shit every day yeah and you get numb to it because if you let yourself uh, feel how yes. horrible that is you would go cra- like yes you would go crazy mm. uh, in your own way not not that it would be anywhere as bad as what they're they're experiencing but that's yeah. what I experience myself in cities and him. Yeah, I, I describing it in more detail is kind of like, oh god, yeah. I know. I don't. It's tough. I feel like there is, in its own way, a uh, a kind of deep compassion in the the frankness of, uh, you know, description yeah. of these things because the impulse is to ignore. Yeah. And ig- part of ignoring is letting your eyes glaze over to the details. Again, mm-hmm. that kind of uh, well observed, almost poetic shabbiness of the texture of life that he describes you yeah. know and the fact the fact that he describes them both as like it looks like they fell from above and mm-hmm. it also looks like it's like a battlefield yeah. like with felled people like i don't know oh man especially this this following the dawn thing is just so like the the structure is so weird what well, is kind of weirdly this like electrifying uh segment of this book where like things are things are happening ha- actually i was happening. gonna say it that was a, a describe, you know, an event that was described, mm. <laughs> as, as opposed to you know a thing, a, yeah, a thing being described. Well, again, it's like as we were talking about the other week with like the sweets of this book. I I do like that that starts with like an, a a list of technical details of like cartridges, yes, and ends with this like rousing action action set set piece. You know, yes, yes. I'm looking up Boston Duck Pond, Boston, Boston Common Frog Pond, Frog Pond. That's a not spray a pool, Beacon Beacon Street, Boston Common. Is that does that sound familiar? I don't know. I'm looking at the picture. 
I presu- yes, look, there's a statue. Oh, there are the statues. Make way of for ducks. ducklings. Make way for ducklings. Um, yep. Yeah. Do I don't I don't know if they actually drain it. Uh, if that's if that's a thing or if that's like a bit that they yeah. he just created as a. I mean, maybe as a thing. Got to get all the duck shit out of it. When it, whenever he describes Boston in enough detail of like street names, I'm like, yeah, he's yeah, probably, probably not exists, making this yeah. up. Uh, cruising through Alston. <laughs> Straight out of Alston. Uh, anything more? I mean, I think we're both pretty. Uh, we did 45 minutes, and we're pretty uh beat. Yeah, sorry we're, for all the coughing. Yeah, it's now like almost eight o'clock here in LA, and we got to get on a plane at 11:30. Uh, it, inter- interestingly, the you know. As, as we have left Coachella, an event that has been live streamed uh, for two weekends in a row to everybody, but is also something that 100,000 people go to yeah. in person. Yes. Perfect uh, perfect enca- encapsulation of the screen versus IRL thing. I mean, also, you know, a is this the first one we've been back to since we started this pod? Um, yeah. Remember, I'm sure we have talked about it at some point on the pod. Remember the very early theme of, uh, you know, cultural chaos runes? Yeah. Of things that drive people insane. Yeah. Uh, Coachella, obviously one of them. Yeah. Thing, something that people get very mad about. Yeah. Uh, which is why I, in the past, have been pretty cagey about talking about going to it. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, it's just people enjoying music. It really is. It's, it's, a, it's, it's, a, mu- it's a music festival. It's a music festival. Uh, it's just people. Like, obviously, there are some people who, who use it in the most obnoxious possible way as just like a glam backdrop for whatever their own thing is. Yeah. But the vast majority of it people is just are doing, normal yep. people going to watch a bunch of live music. And yep. that is, seems like something that should be so immediately understandable as like a fun, good thing. to Like, like good for people. The person to go seeing live music is great. That's one of the best things that it's we. It's one of my favorite. Do. It's one of my simply my favorite things. Yeah, uh, yeah it's there. You know, it is. Yeah. There, it is two percent. Uh, super defensive about, about yeah, it. Yeah, it's just I, like one of those things I, that. Yeah, I I want to defend it kind of more generally. You know, we were talking earlier today that I think festivals in general are really culturally misunderstood yes. and increasingly more so. And usually the image of a festival is like more or less the opposite of what it actually, actually is. is. Uh, I think music festivals are li- literally one of the most uh, like pri- primordial things that human beings yeah. do is like get, get together and dance. Yes. Uh, and in, in it's important numbers. to do it. Uh, should there be more access to it for people? Yes. Yeah, probably. There should be, I mean, obviously, there should be, scho- there should be Coachella scholarships. Honestly, they yeah, should give away would, free I tickets. I mean, that would be great. Or honestly, you know, more uh, big festivals like these should be like municipal projects or something. You know, yeah. Should they be more accessible for uh, lots of different kinds of people in terms of abilities? Absolutely. There's a lot that can be done, but it is still, you yeah. know, since human beings uh, were c- figured out how to not be monkeys, yeah. and honestly, probably do, do monkeys like music? Probably. I don't know. Well, next time I see one, I'll play some. For him. <laughs> I'll play next some uh, Billy Eilish and see what we should say. ask uh, Emma Emma Bowers uh, if monkeys like music. I will ask Emma Bowers if monkeys like music. All right, see what well, we'll, we'll report back next time if monkeys like music. Yeah. Uh, next next time on <laughs> next time on uh, Infinite Cast, do monkeys like music? Uh, we'll find out, and uh, <laughs> you'll hear. Uh, goodbye. Bye.